Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Did you know I've had my podcast for 15 years? Do you know that it is the most downloaded sports podcast of all time? Did you know I have guests from the sports world, from the culture world, people who work for The Ringer, people outside The Ringer, celebrities, experts, you name it. It's on my podcast three times a week, late Sunday night, late Tuesday night, late Thursday night, the Bill Simmons podcast. Check it out on Spotify. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Come on then. Hello and welcome growth. back. Oh, sorry. Hello and welcome back to Stadio Podcast and Ring RC. I'm Mesa Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks, man. How are you? Good, good, good. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> take two. <laughs> yeah, take two, take two. Um, I'm very well. And how was your launch for the audiobook? Yeah. Yeah, I launched the audiobook um, for In the End It Was All About Love, which I narrated, published by Rough Trade Books on all audio platforms now. Um, so we launched that last night in Berlin at the wonderful cocktail bar. Geistim Glass, run by the lovely Aisha Bennett, in conversation with Paul Scrayton, who is a fantastic writer himself. He's got a great book out called In the Pines, brand new book about nature. It was a lovely evening, really lovely crowd, good vibes, great cocktails, intimate setting, which unfortunately meant that people who didn't buy tickets immediately couldn't get in. Hello. (laughs) Including present company. Yeah, yeah, present company. I'm just glad you had fun. Oh, thank you. Well, it was a really lovely night and there'll be others because frankly, this is Berlin. So they're always oh, fun. There'll be others. Is that a Luis Alguango announces more books? <laughs> Let's do some admin. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Obviously anyone affected by what's going on around the world at the moment, we hope you're all okay. There is a lot going on and um, yeah, too much. Yeah, we just hope yeah. everyone's hanging in there. Obviously we're still in the pandemic. So we hope everyone's getting vaccinated if you can, get that booster if you can. Um, some admin theringer.com forward slash soccer check Moose's piece on Chelsea we mentioned it last week but that's still up to read there'll be more stuff going up soon uh, I did an F1 piece last week and uh, I'm sure I'll be doing some more F1 stuff through the season right his house this week will be you and Mioa and Ian and on that you guys are going to talk about the FA Cup the men's FA Cup the women's FA Cup the England squad and also some some Tammy Abraham some Tammy Abraham chat Absolutely. There's a bit of a schedule change over the men's international break. So Righty's House will go up Wednesday. You're obviously listening to Stadio today. There will be no Stadio on Thursday, no Righty's House next week, and then Stadio will return on March the 31st. 21st, which is today, Righty's House on the 23rd, and then the Ringer FC feed will be quiet until Stadio returns on the 31st of March. So if you don't see podcasts up, do not fret. That's why. 
yeah, yeah. So today, we're going to talk about Classicos and Derbies. We are indeed. Because they were a plenty over the weekend and they were extremely fun. So I reckon let's get into it after this. Let's do it. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, man, should we begin in the uh, Santiago Bernabeu? We must. We must begin there. Real Madrid nil, Barcelona 4. In what I believe, even though there have been some big results over the last decade, I think this is probably the biggest statement Classico result since the 5-0 in November 2010. That's a huge shout. And also in terms of what it means for the next phase of Barcelona, in terms of a result that announces a new phase, because the only other result I can think of that was rivaling this was the 4-0 BNS, the masterclass, um, with Neymar as a second in command, but that wasn't announcing a new phase of Barcelona. So I think you're right, actually. This was really, to use an analogy, this was the, this was the moment when the Death Star became fully operational. Like all the things, all the tuning up that we'd seen Barcelona putting in place against Napoli, against Galatasaray with the comeback. We'd seen resilience from them. We'd seen creativity. We'd seen flowing football. But this was the complete package. There were things that Barcelona could have done better for sure. But in terms of the full, how do I say this? In terms of the full manifestation of Barcelona's capabilities going forward, this was the performance particularly the first half. This is the performance. You look at it and say, this is the new look of Barcelona. Look at my work, see mighty and despair. Because there was let's a, do it. There was let's a, do, let's go through the, start with the tactics maybe, or then. Yeah. Because the obviously Benzema was missing through injury. And yeah, which is a big caveat. Yeah, yeah. Massive caveat because obviously we have talked about how, well, I mean, everyone's talked about how, different that side looks without Karim Benzema in it. You raised the point earlier about saying that this side misses Benzema more than Bayern Munich misses Lewandowski, which is mm. saying, like, really goes to show how important he is to this side. Carlo Ancelotti decided to, on the lineup, it said that Modric was playing as the in the nine position. So basically an advanced role with Kroos, Casemiro and Fede Valverde as the midfield three, who I thought, I thought Fede Valverde was one of the few Real Madrid players who came out of this game with any kind of credit, really. I think, I felt like he was outnumbered and he was forced to do a lot in isolation. Mm. Because if you look at that midfield, Kroos is not putting pressure on the ball. Casemiro wasn't putting that much pressure on the ball, not coordinated. So Valverde was often just outmatched Mm. and they were passing around and through him. He was good in isolation, but he just was... He was on a hiding to nothing. And I, you know, it, sp- it speaks volumes to the fact that it was Kroos and not Valverde. It was withdrawn at half time. Yeah. I mean, Ancelotti came out after the game and just said straight away that didn't work. That, that, um, yeah, that plan work. to push Modric further forward. And it does raise questions why Luka Jovic is there because we know that you could, Luka Jovic hasn't really recreated the form that he had at Eintracht Frankfurt before he moved to Real Madrid. Mm. He didn't recreate the Eintracht Frankfurt form when he went back to Eintracht on loan last season. Mm. But he's a proven goal scorer. And I think that one of the main problems that Real Madrid had was just that 
they just looked a bit of a mess. And especially going mm. forward when you had Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr. creating, I wouldn't say loads of loads of chances, but... In the early stages, they looked good. Yeah, they did. But there was just, there just seemed to be this huge, <laughs> usually vacated space in the middle of the park where, in, in the more advanced role, that I wonder if, if having someone like Jovic there, at least just to keep the centre-back yes. pairing a little bit more occupied, it would have given Real Madrid a little bit more of a um, a direct kind of target because they seem to be a bit listless. Yeah, I mean, you look at that, you look, what Benzema brings to that front line, basically Benzema is like the scaffolding of mm. the Real Madrid front line, like that he anchors all of it. And he's done that, he did it under Zidane, he did it under Ancelotti, where you have a, a revolving cast, let's say, of wide forwards and, and, and number 10. So Isco, Isco is still in the squad, right? Isco is lurking about. You've got um, Odegaard, who came and went. James Rodriguez came and went. Um, Asensio is in and out now. And, but but Benzema Bale. is the kind of, yeah, and Gareth Bale. Right. Uh, Aiden Hazard with injury, you know, bless him, like what, injured for four of the first Clasicos, managing Madrid website. There's four of his first seven uh, Clasicos he's been injured. The last three he's been fit for, but not picked because he's out of favour and it's just not working. So Benzema is the fixed point around which all those players rotate. And maybe this is a slight criticism of Ancelotti, like, you become too reliant on Benzema when you remove him, you haven't got a plan B. Mm. And the problem is you take out Benzema, he does so much in terms of occupying the centre-backs, right? That if you remove him, passing around and through that, you know, he's such an astonishing presence. It's like being in a thunderstorm and opening the sunroof and it all just comes in. It all just comes in. No disrespect to Modric because he tried to press as best he could, right? But there was many moments where he was the most advanced player for Real and also the deepest lying. Mm. And, Benzema doesn't get dragged all over the place at that because Modric takes responsibility. And actually in this game, I think he took too much, if I'm honest. Like, I think he took too I much. That's fair. You, you should put him in centre of Modric and just let him control tempo and then give him runners alongside him. It's no coincidence. The best Modric has looked this year, the most liberated, was when he played alongside Camavinga and Valverde in that second half against PSG and just absolutely toasted them because he knew that when he went forward, he had people tucking in. Mm. But, you know, the way that Kroos played from very early in this match was just... He was isolated. Casemiro was isolated. was not progressing the ball. And you effectively had, what, like two against four? Let's be charitable, mm-hmm. okay? Two against four, Modric and Valverde against, you know, Busquets, De Jong, Torres tucking in. Young Pedri. And Pedri. And they just ran right. They ran right. And Pedri, Pedri you know, Fred Torres will get onto him in a moment, but Pedri and Frankie De Jong, what they did alongside Busquets as a unit is now it's as exciting as I'd hope it would be. I'm not sure Frankie Dion will get the full props for this performance, but I think he was, he was outstanding. Yeah, I think the, the most encouraging thing from a Barcelona perspective, because I think that's all we really need to talk about with Real Madrid, because yeah, yeah. I feel like even though Benzema was missing, Barcelona was so good mm. that we have to really put the focus on them. And I think the thing that's really interesting about this Barcelona lineup now is that it looks settled. It looks very much settled, much in the way of, now I'm not comparing this to the peak Pep teams or the side that won the treble under Luis Enrique, but if you compare this to Barcelona lineups earlier on in the season, when you were relying on Memphis from the start, who we've said before took charge, and I think at the time Barcelona really needed someone to take charge, because I think just the shockwave of losing Messi in the summer, the way that it happened, the hangover of that, 
was mm. severe and prolonged. And especially with what happened with Sergio Aguero's injury initially and then the drama around registering players and then obviously him having to retire because of the heart condition, there was a lot of turnover, even within the new arrivals, within that squad extremely early on in the season. And I feel that now under Javi, the re-emergence of Usman Dembele, who's been injury-free and putting in consistent performances alongside Aubameyang, who seems rejuvenated, those three in the front, uh, Ferran Torres, Aubameyang, Dembele, they just look like they're really clicking. For example, they linked on so many of the goals. Is it two assists for, for Dembele? An assist for Aubameyang is, is, as well as two goals for Ferran Torres. And they look extremely cohesive with a con- cohesive midfield trio behind them. And mm. the most stable back four Maybe in a good, oh, in a, yes. You know, you're right. not, right, I, even though I still think there are question marks about Eric Garcia, I think he was good in this game. I much prefer Ronald Araujo at centre back with Gerard Piquet, but I thought he did amazing at right back. You know, he reminds me of, he reminds me, you know, Puyol in the Champions League plays yeah, as a yeah. fullback yeah. when um, one of the centre backs is missing. It was like that same thing. It was almost like Araujo, is, it's so funny watching Barcelona, it's almost like watching reincarnations of previous players. You know, Araujo broke like, he broke like a, a wrist or something and he was back playing within a few days and that's such a Puyol thing to have done. And we're seeing more parallels of Puyol, huge match in a Clasico as Puyol did uh, in that great stretch. Plays as a fullback instead of a centre-back because that's what the team needs and plays superbly and shuts the flank down against someone you might regard as a really dangerous offensive threat. You know, Vinicius is a top three wide forward in the world at this point in terms of how he's playing, like in terms of his, you know, he's a truly dangerous player. Um, there's a couple things I want to say about fit. So the first thing is about the back four. So they've tried a junior partner alongside PK, if you will, so far. They tried Longley, didn't quite work. Araujo is the best, I would say, in terms of that role. But what Garcia did so well here, I think, was was the passing. Yeah. Playing on the front foot. Not necessarily tested as, as much as he would have been against Benzema, but he took it, to his credit, he took advantage of the extra space and really opened up uh, Madrid as a playmaker. And I hadn't seen him in that role, perhaps because the challenges he'd had in attacking sense, were greater in previous games. He didn't have that same pressure on him, but he really showed, I think, to me, that the passing range that was exciting. In terms of the fit of the front three, I want to talk about very quickly. I've said it before, but an underrated aspect of a front three is the fact they just get out of each other's way. Mm-hmm. So you had Usman Dembele playing as a conventional winger, like on the touchline, occasionally, as you said before, cutting in, but fundamentally, what's that, that the old cliche about? I want you to have chalk all over your boots by the end. Usman Dembele, conventional winger. Ferran Torres, was cutting and combining very well and Aubameyang central. And the thing I loved so much and dropping deep as well, doing a lot of work, which was great. But the thing I loved about Ferran Torres, you knew from the first minute he was truly locked in, gets brought down for a foul after like 30 seconds, um, which German commentary is like, that's a book in any other pitch. And 30 seconds later, I knew this man was locked in because there's a free kick that Alba takes. And I forgot this actually early, but Jordi Alba hammers the ball in at about waist height. Ferran Torres like adjusts, takes a brilliant first touch to pot to tear it up. Oh yeah. Turns and clatters over the bar. But the touch, right? Right. Like, yeah, the touch is mean? amazing. He pops, he pops it into the waist, flips it up and turns and hits like, you know, the ball goes over. But like, I was like, whoa, like this man is locked in. And I love what he brings to the Barcelona front line. He reminds me of a kind of a Chiesa at Juventus, a Maratta in terms of the movement, but if his finishing touch comes, he's a complete forward at this point. 
Well, I don't want to jump ahead, so maybe let's go through the goals because there was a. Of course. He, he had that it. glaring miss before his goal in the second half. But um, Yeah, so we'll get into that. Yeah, Let's yeah, talk yeah. about let's the first the goals. Goal. So poor, poor Nacho, I think, had a bit of a torrid time against Osmond Dembele because. Yeah. Osmond Dembele had. Um, like I say, he is kind of pretty much two footed and he. Mm. I think he cut inside a couple of times before the assist for the first Aubameyang goal, which he then went outside Nacho. Mm. Cross for Aubameyang. And I think the worrying thing about this from a Real Madrid point of view is that the same thing happened on the Araujo goal where they, out, they, they outnumber Barcelona in the box. Mm. And on both times, like Aubameyang for the first, he kind of just ghosts in. He doesn't really even have to do a huge amount of work. I think it's a really good ball from Dembele. But you've got a load of Real Madrid defenders just kind of looking at each other being like, whose guy was that? Yeah, it's not like there was a dummy run or anything, like a dummy to this post. No, in the it, next. Was, it, wasn't it was that, actually, yeah. it was quite simple. The execution from Dembele and Aubameyang, I think, was really, really good. The second goal, the Araujo goal, comes just after this massive to-do between Vinicius Jr. and Araujo mm. and to Stegen, actually. Because, like, so basically, Vinicius Jr. goes through. As the Stegen comes out, he does the kind of the kind of the flappy jumping fish celebration in FIFA and starts mm. to starts to go very much down before Tostegas even come anywhere near him. And he doesn't mm. make contact with him anyway. And he was looking for a penalty, I think. Gerard Piquet gave him an arm around the arm the talking to the arm on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, Which went I, on for I got, so long, yeah. right? So long that yeah. as they, the play continued and it looked like Barcelona were going to kick the ball out of play because it seemed mm. to be going on for so long. But no, I, I had a theory about this. Now I'm looking about this and Araujo, like if I look at what he did, I wonder if the frustration, because Vinicius gets frustrated very early in this game, right? You don't die for a penalty and appeal for it for the next minute and a half if you're not frustrated really early. And I just wonder because he has a couple of like early good chances, but then mm. he gets snuffed out quite a lot and he's not getting the joy he expects. He's not getting the combinations he wants. And it's really weird to see a player protest so much for a penalty that like, you know what I mean? You, you don't see that happen, like go to ground that soon. And like, really, he really was, committed was, to the bit. It was really quite bad. It was well. a terrible, this is the thing, he committed to the bit so early. And I was almost wondering if, if Puyol, uh, no, Puyol, Piquet, God, I was wondering if Piquet was almost like saying, dude, like, slow your roll. Like, I know that, because, you know, tackles had already flown in early in that game, right? There were some bad tackles. <laughs> I wonder if he was almost like the context of, let's all calm down. Let's all yeah. calm down. This is a bit much. We're kicking off too early. But I think that was because he was experiencing so much frustration down the right flank. Like he was getting absolutely no change out of his opposite man. And if you think about the people that he was expecting to perhaps face, an aging Danny Alves, and Xavi was wise not to include him in that. Because I think that, I think the Vinicius had a plan for him. And mm -hmm. I think that he would have had a plan for Dest. I agree. And all the space Vinicius was expecting to find was not there. Mm. This is this, I mean, and I wonder if that was a part of what made him disintegrate because the goal that goes in when Araujo scores the header that kind of ends their little duel, he's arguing just before Dembele puts the cross in, and I'm thinking, this man is so absolutely in your head at this point because even the way they defended him was clever. They showed him inside, so even if he beat his the first man Vinicius, Garcia would step out. Mm. They'd swap actually, sort of sort, and Garcia had with a greater pace. He'd step out, bang! It was like a one-two. It was a bit like watching um, the Champions League final when Raheem Sterling was going up against um, Reese James and his Piliqueta and you'd beat one man, but then you'd be like completely hamstrung because you couldn't beat the second. Yeah. And it felt like that to an extent, the, the narrow alleys they kept running up. Yeah, definitely. It really, <laughs> I found it very entertaining watching 
an extended shot of Gerard Piquet with his arm around Vinicius Jr. just giving him some kind of pep talk walking back to the, the halfway line. It was very much just kind of like, let me tell you, you know, but, see, the thing, yeah, about, but the thing I, about the classical yeah. Vinny is, uh, <laughs> you know, Vinicius Jr. has been there a good few years now. Like he's played in classical. Yeah, yeah. What I found quite intriguing about that was that he didn't, um, you know, Vinicius didn't throw him off. Yeah, like, yeah. You, you've seen so often in games like that where you've got like, you've got like the don't touch me, don't whatever. And there was like, but there was no shoving. It was almost like, no, but Gerard, honestly, no, look like Gerard, I'm, I'm, come on, I'm trying so much. Like there's no Karim and, and like, you know, Marco's on the bench and, and Gareth's not even training. He's not even in the squad and Aiden's whatever. It's like, yeah, no, I know, I know, I know you're the guy. And it was almost like kind of consider your legacy. I like you, but consider your legacy. Do you know what I think he was saying? <laughs> I think he was just going. Oh no, he's Shakira. you fitting. Maybe he did the extended bit. <laughs> no, but do you know, no, do you know what Vinicius should have done in his ear? He should have been like, da, 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 da. that would have <laughs> fucking trolled him by Can you imagine the that with the Europa League? <laughs> that, that would have been gold. <laughs> oh my God. Do you know what? Why did no one else do that in the game? They I should think have you can done do it. Do you know Real Madrid should yeah. instead of playing the, the the hymn at the beginning, they should have just played the Europa League theme tune and trolled Barcelona. So know, that would have been incredible. That would anyway. be incredible. Yeah, actually, actually, do you know what? Actually, before we get to the, this, this, that's the second goal. Before we get to the third goal, I wonder if, given Barcelona's resurgence, what kind of gamesmanship we're going to see between players. I don't think Ancelotti will buy into, but I wonder what kind of extra needle we're going to see now in the next Clasico. Well, don't forget after the five nil. Remember how gnarly, as in your words, the, the, the game after that was. Oh my god, that's, that's what horrible. I'm saying. Like, right, right. What are we going to see? Watch the spaces get absolutely clamped next time this happens. So anyway, third goal. Tony Kroos, Danny Carvajal both got hooked at half time for Camavinga and Mariano. Mm. Torrid time. Mm, not a great time. And then literally straight after the half time whistle or the, the start of the second half. Sorry, Ferran Torres goes clean through. And the assistant referee seems to flag prematurely. Torres puts it wide anyway. And this was a huge miss because he wasn't offside. No. And then he puts that, that one in literally a well, minute and a half later. Not well wide, but wide. But what I love is, yeah, he scores. So this is the thing, my one fear. when I, It all happens so quick. So Ferran Torres gets put through by Bamiang, clean through, gorgeous chance, and puts it a couple of feet wide. And it was set up at that point, given the game that Ferran Torres had played to that point, it was superb in the first half. This was like the crown and glory. You score the third in the Benabeu, it's good night. And I saw this and thought, please don't become that guy. Don't be that kind of, don't let them maratta you. Don't let them make you into that person whose movement and touch is superb, build up play superb, but you can't finish. And then 90 seconds later scores a goal that was so good that no one else will really be talking about the miss a week from now. Gorgeous mm. combination play with the Bamiyang and the finish was so resolute. It was like watching like peak Mark Hughes or something, just punching it. Batistuta or something, just punching it top right. Like it was, it was a real striker's finish. Um, but one thing I, I really want to say about Madrid before, before we go into the, the rest of what, um, what, what Barcelona did. One thing Ancelotti did wrong, I think, in this game, not just tactically in, in relation to the front line. Why are you putting David Alaba central and not left back and Nacho outside when we know that Alaba is a better one-on-one defender and would have probably given Dembele more to think about and Nacho's been really good centrally actually like even in knockouts like Nacho's been a really effective central defender and I know that Militao and him are not necessarily that they have the same chemistry but 
I just look at that and think, actually, Nacho must feel a bit hard done by there because very few times he'll be able to stop Dembele going past them on the outside in a way that mm-hmm. Alaba could have acquitted himself. So I felt like almost that was a bit, um, that was a bit of a tough assignment for Nacho and that was unnecessary one. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think there were a few things that would, that just, uh, we've talked about this before when you move pieces around, like with the Benzema thing and putting mm. Modric in there, that how it doesn't just, it doesn't just affect that one position. It affects the chemistry around you and it creates this ripple mm. effect throughout two or three positions within the team that can kind of reduce your ability to actually click in a way that you would do if that original player was there. So it's something that we've talked about quite a lot about these little relationships between players, how, why uh, fullbacks are so important because of the the number of relationships that they have to have with the players around them. That's why central midfield mm. is so key. So I think the natural thing was understandable in a way. It clearly wasn't working. And actually, Ancelotti made that switch, I think to three at the back just after half, or at half time, and then immediately switched it again to the point where the Real Madrid players were looking around super confused. Just the whole thing felt a little bit of a mess. Yeah. We've always known that Ancelotti isn't exactly a wild X's and O's kind of guy. Mm. But this felt like he was kind of moving things or really trying to bend things in a way that I don't think he really needed to do. I mean, Barcelona were so good without going over the top. It literally could have been eight. It's, yeah, because it should have been five. It should have been five. Oh, well, so the fourth goal comes, Aubameyang puts away a beautiful chip um, after just a layoff. Just a little from- hop. As it drops under the bar. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, Beautiful um, takedown from a high ball by PK, I think by, um, by Torres. Lays it off, through to Aubameyang and just floats it over Courtois. This was the one that got flagged. Yeah, first flag for offside. And Real Madrid were complaining about it. And while I do have some sympathy with that because it was a premature flag and we know that mm. the directive is not to do that because yeah. you wait and see. And it was so clearly onside. Well, here's a bit of a hot take. The delay for the fourth goal broke Real Madrid's spirit more than just if it was straight 4-0. Yeah. Having to wait around when you're 3-0 down already and you know everything's in disarray and you saw the players looking at each other and you just saw them looking demoralised and they waited for like a good two minutes. The fourth goal is confirmed. And it was weird because because the pause was so long waiting for the crucial fourth goal, the way that the players celebrated the fourth goal, it was almost like that was game over like with half an hour to go or like 33 minutes to go. And I took that moment to pause and look at the actual, um, uh, the possession stats. And it was something like Barca completed 91% of their passes and they completed 432 passes. And Rail had completed like 236. And I just thought, this is really going to hurt Madrid because they came out and basically counterpunched. They kind of did what Mourinho's this is the weird thing. They did what Mourinho's Madrid did in 2010 when they lost 5-0. But the worst thing is they did it as league leaders. At least in 2010, Mourinho's Madrid could use the excuse of, oh, like, we were clearly the underdogs. Real Madrid entered this game, and this is why psychologically they need to be careful. This is a dangerous defeat for them. They entered this as the top dogs. Mm. That, and that's, that's, that's why this, is such a, this result feels seismic. And it's almost like... If we look at Madrid's direction of travel, they're looking to rebuild with Mbappe. And I know Benzema's out, but they're not going to rebuild a moment too soon, actually. Because the problem they've got, maybe the problem we mentioned with Napoli before, is excessive faith in the older guard. Some yeah. of Napoli's older guard are delivering still, right? But some of them, for physical reasons primarily, no disrespect to those players, we don't even name them because we know who they are, but 
for physical reasons primarily, they're just not what they were. And I just wonder if this defeat is quite, this defeat gives permission to the Real Madrid board to be like, actually, we've got to nip this in the bud. Mbappe and Holland, here we come. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, if Holland, I mean, I think Mbappe is the real. Yeah. He's the one that they need, I think. Yeah, yeah. Barcelona haven't lost in the league since the 4th of December when they lost 1-0 at home to Betis. They lost to Real Madrid in the Super Cup and they lost to Athletic Club in the Copa del Rey. But they are unbeaten in the league since then. And if you haven't watched Barcelona, they've been a joy in that time. They've been largely a joy. And because Sevilla drew on the weekend, it means that if Barcelona win their game in hand because of their superior goal difference, they will go second. It makes you wonder what PSG are thinking though, as well. Because Barcelona, if you think about it, they, they had a really impressive result against Atleti at home mm. in the league and they've had a really impressive result in the Clasico not long after Real Madrid stuck PSG out of Europe now I know Benzema was there and different mm. circumstances but you look at PSG this weekend for example losing 3-0 away at Monaco Messi wasn't there and they looked extremely poor two for Benyada one for Kevin Follin not, not long after coming on and um, they just look a complete shambles at the moment it's a mess. Even the formation, like just having it's like just Verratti like so out in a wider position, just is so odd. It's so odd. A lot of drama around that football club at the moment. They've lost three of their last four, four of their last six. Yeah, in all comps. Dreadful. The last few four. away games as well. What last four away games? Three four away yeah, games. Yeah, I think so. Um, Awful. Marseille beat Nice uh, in a fiery game on Sunday night as well. Penalty for Milik. The Cambus sealed it with a minute to go and then Lamina got a goal back from Nice in stoppage time it's a big result for Marseille they are three points clear of Nice and a point clear of Rennes who whose 6-1 hammering of Mets meant that they are now in the third Champions League spot well the Champions League qualifying spot also in Monaco some rumours of Paul Mitchell being fired after a big clear out there so never a dull moment in Liga not at all not at all that Liga's hyper what I love about the Liga is, I'm like, anyone can get it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyone can get the smoke. If you're Lorient, Lorient come for anyone. They don't respect anyone. And that's the thing I love. And Ren yeah. too. Like, Ren have played some, some cracking games this year. Great league. Let's take a break and then we will head to Rome. Let's do it. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, man. The Derby della Capitale. Yes. Roma 3, Lazio 0. Two for Tammy Abraham, one for Lorenzo Pellegrini. And it was all done and dusted before halftime. Now we're going to talk about the goals and stuff, but we're going to save most of the Tammy love for Wright's house. Mm. Inside a minute, Roma were ahead. Corner. It was going to be what, what the Spanish call an Olympic goal. And then it hit the bar. 
Mm. And perfectly placed was Tammy inside the six yard box, having listened to the words of the great Musa Okwonga. <laughs> Crash the box, Tammy. Kids. Crash the box. Crash the box. Crash the box, kids. And I've, there'll always be treats there. Straight onto his thigh, and in it goes. 1 0 up within a minute. Second, though, was very aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Gorgeous team goal. Rifled into the channels, ripped across goal, comes in waist height and just thrashes it. You described it as uh, Robin Van Persie-esque. Yeah, very similar to Van Persie, like where the ball comes in with hot sauce and you put extra hot sauce on it. <laughs> and I think, you know, what, what, you know he's, uh, I think you actually mentioned a stat before about his goal scoring exploits. It's pretty incredible what he's done at the moment. What, like... Uh, so he has broken Batistuta and Montalio's record of 21 goals in their debut Roma season. He's now got 22 already. There, I suppose, watching Roma in this game against Lazio, who are certainly no clowns, watching them in this game, I wonder if Roma supporters have a kind of a wistfulness because this is what Mourinho teams at their best do. The way they fly out the traps you know, Marino teams at their best have always done this. The first 20 minutes, half hour are just invigorating, thrilling. They attack with such purpose. Uh, they play on the front foot. They play with the quick touch play, great interpassing. Pellegrini, Mkhitaryan and Abraham are as entertaining as attack, three attacking players you could want in a team. But they've also got that bit of bite. Even Mkhitaryan. Yeah, this, is, this, is, this was more like, watching this first half hour is more like, is it, ah, oh, this is Mkhitaryan of Dortmund. This is the Dortmund Oh yeah, Mkhitaryan. he had that one off the bar to make it 4-0. Right. Because we, obviously we should talk about Pellegrini's free kick, right? Yes, yes, yes. There were some good free kicks this weekend. I think Pellegrini's was probably my favourite. Maybe because also not just the quality of the free kick itself, but the fact that it was so emphatic and what it signified, like at that point of the, the icing on the cake in terms of the, the victory and... I mentioned before, like, you know, you mentioned, you're talking about great derby goals um, and especially Rome derby goals. And I was thinking of the Francesco Totti chip um, in the 5-1. I'm not sure which of the five goals it was, but when he scored it, it felt like we've already won this. And now here's a demonstration why we've won this. <laughs> this is like putting you all on notice. You know, sometimes we said this before about like how a goal is so good it'd be worth more than one goal. I mean, that was definitely like, that's like a 1.3. Yeah, it was from beyond the arc. I mean, it was literally beyond yeah, yeah. the arc, really. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just an amazing free kick. And, and the thing, the best thing I think about this for Jose was just, they just let Lazio have the ball and they kept it extremely boring in the second half. Mm. And also like, I mean, I, I want to sort of look at this as, this result is a culmination of like a half week of Jose Marino performance art, calling out <laughs> Sarri. You know, it, it was, it was, it was like, yeah, this is like, this was, when, when Jose Mourinho has a football match, it's not just like, it's not just the game, it's the pre-match. So it's everything like three days before. Mm. So he goes after Sarri in the media, he gets everyone riled up. It's the crescendo, then the performance comes and the first, Mourinho will claim this and he'll be like, look, actually everything I said was leading towards that opening half hour salvo when they just come in and they go absolutely wild. And frankly, we have to give him credit if that was his intention because it, it worked. It absolutely yeah, and went, worked. And, and they went above Lazio in the league. They're into six now. They're on a nine-game unbeaten run in the league. Since they won those back-to-back games, so, sorry, since they lost those back-to-back games away at Milan and then at home to Juve, mm. at home to Juve, they've not, they've not lost in the league. The only, the only wow. defeat came against Inter in the Coppa Italia. 
Damn. Well, yeah, that's a team that's uh, on a bit of a run. Yeah, like I say, we'll talk about Tammy in particular on Wright's House. I'm really looking forward to hearing you guys talk about that because it's going to be good. Yeah, um, me too. Looking so Roma to. level on points with Atalanta who beat Bologna 1-0 away thanks to a Mustafa Cisse goal who was playing for a team that was formed of refugees eight weeks ago. No, sorry, four weeks ago in the eighth tier of Italian football. He came on in the 65th minute and he scored the winner for Atalanta in the 82nd. What a debut. You know, what scares me about that story, uh, as, as amazing as this story is, what scares me is just imagine the quality mm. that is just waiting undiscovered at different levels of the league pyramid. Amazing photo as well of him being carried. That's incredible. Yeah. That's life-changing. This is the thing that gets me about professional football. I'm like, the quality that exists at like so many levels of the pyramid, if you get your moment, you can change your life with a goal like that. Yeah. That's genuinely wild. unbelievable. Yeah. And a goal they really needed, Atalanta. A really important goal for them. They really, really did. Uh, Juve beat Salernitana 2-0 earlier on in the day and uh, Inter dropped some points. They drew one all with Fiorentina, Napoli being Udinese 2-1. So at the top of the league, Milan three points clear of Napoli, who are three points clear of Inter, who have a game in hand. A point behind them are Juventus, just lurking quietly, mm-hmm. listening to Musa Okwonga yeah. big him up. <laughs> yeah, the old lady is uh, still very much alive. Let's go to another derby. Well, a classica in the Netherlands. A quite literally fiery game between Ajax and Feyenoord. The game was delayed uh, slightly because of the Ajax pyro display getting a little bit too close to one of the banners. They made hard work of it, Ajax. But I wonder though, I mean, yeah, they did, but they did. Uh, although we've mentioned before, I mean, we look at Inter um, and their stumbling form after being eliminated from the Champions League against Liverpool. And you look now against the, the Ajax loss to Benfica was thoroughly disappointing. Uh, not because I expected to win the entire thing, but Benfica in that game didn't really create anything, right? They didn't create anything. And Ajax kind of, no disrespect to Benfica, but if Ajax had finished better or slightly better, then they go through. Mm. And then to have to sort of raise your spirits again after perhaps your most hated rival in the Dutch league, um, in terms of the, the enmity between these, 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 squad, these sides, and you're also trying to sort of fight off PSV in second place. This is a huge game for Ajax and they went a goal down. So the resilience to come back and claim it was, was outstanding. And I think, of course, I, in a final, would have, they would have absolutely welcomed the opportunity to hand another defeat to, to Ajax. It's the resilience to come back and handle their business in this game. You know, winning 3-2 as they did is, uh, is a really impressive, really impressive result, I think. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And there was this, um, should we talk about Anthony's Hero's journey as you nine nine minute <laughs> micro <laughs> journey. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the opposite of a hero's journey? Anyway, go on. Yeah. Go oh, Allah gets the equal like the first equalizer. Tadic gets the second equalizer with a great free kick, and then Anthony scores the winner in the eighty sixth minute. Takes his shirt off, gets booked, and then deep into stoppage time, looks like he really like hurts himself, and he's laying down in the technical area. I couldn't really figure out what the referee's problem was, but then Dusan Tadic kind of gets him up and pushes him 
to which Anthony falls over again. And as if Tadic is just like, look, he's really fucking hurt. <laughs> poor Anthony. If you, imagine if you, you know when you really, really roll your ankle and you can't put yeah, any yeah. weight on it. It kind of looked like that. But imagine if then all of a sudden your captain is like, no, 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 look, and pushes you. And you're like, dude, what the <laughs> hell? And then the referee books him again and sends him off. And then when uh, at full time, his shirt comes straight off again. He's flexing hard. <laughs> well, I'm just, it's just so funny that he got sent off for being pushed over in a sense. Like, but, then, but isn't that, didn't, this reminds me of the um, Louis Van Gaal thing and Louis Van Gaal, like on oh, the sidelines. Don't talk to me about this against Arsenal. And took the dive. Yeah, but it's so weird, but it's like almost, is there something in like Dutch football culture where you have to like, you need that performance art element of like, no, actually that's what a foul looks like. <laughs> that's what a fool looks like. Because <laughs> I haven't seen it anywhere else. So if any, if any like Dutch football enthusiasts can bring us some better examples, please let me know if whether it's specific, it's a cultural thing. Like the dramatis personae. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. That's not a dive. I said, was it? That's not a dive. That's a dive. That's not an injury. That's an injury. <laughs> didactic, didactic football. In Argentina this weekend, it was Derby weekend. Boca Juniors beating River Plate in the Super Classico 1-0. Ooh, River will be very disappointed with this though. They had way more of the ball, way more of the chances and ended up losing 1-0 to Boca, who were playing in yellow, which was a bit confusing. A spiky encounter, I think it's fair to say. For them, I mean, when not. is it Actually, not, no, it was, it was, it was fairly, fairly, fairly sedate, I would say, by, by recent standards. No mass brawls. I was actually looking at, um, I was looking at this actually, uh, Marcelo Gallardo's uh, managerial career and just incredible. What two Libertadores he's won. And I was thinking about this, like he was one of those players where he was really heralded to be, I mean, everyone got the next marriage on the tag at that point, but he was more like, you know, like the sort of Ortega type level of quality but it was a brilliant football before injury got to him and it's really really nice to see a player who was so good and he's someone I did enjoy playing until the injuries came along it's really amazing to see his managerial legacy mm. it's genuinely like a great manager and like when he first started out I was just like, oh, like he's, he's good like he's but he's actually just gone to another level um, but yeah still very early days for River in that championship so I'm sure plenty more uh, moments to get the revenge over Boca in that one um, uh- uh, yeah, good derby. The derby between Rosario Central and Newell's was delayed at the kickoff because of exploding smoke bombs that were thrown on the pitch at the beginning and looked, frankly, quite terrifying. And a load of smoke was everywhere and Newell's ended up winning the game 1-0. So many derbies. There was one time I saw so many derbies. It was a, and I was also, have they rigged the TV schedule? You know, like sometimes some Sundays you're like, no, there's no way those teams got drawn against each other by a computer like that has to have been rigged for TV not to be a conspiracy theorist but yeah quickly before we go uh, I want to just big up Mark Fotteringham the Hertha assistant manager oh, from yeah. Scotland yeah, who yeah, stood yeah. in for Felix yeah, yeah. Magat on the weekend and got a 3-0 win over Hoffenheim and Hertha were thoroughly deserving of it after the game he got asked a question by a journalist about you know whether it was basically you know, channeling that brave heart spirit. And in German, he responded very, very definitively and just said, what's this about brave heart? I'm a serious football manager. What do you mean by this? Wow. That's the gist of it anyway. That's really clever. That, you know, that, this is reminiscent of, you know, Unai Emery came to Arsenal and they tried to kind of clown him and make him into a bit of a character. Same, same with Jesse Marsh. 
in right Jesse Marsh yeah. at least with the, you know trying to do the whole like Ted Lasso thing like trying to reduce him to a caricature and the genius of that is you shatter that attempt yeah, you just but also you show the supporters you show the supporters like oh like yeah. there's always a moment there's always a moment when like a leader loses their temper there was actually a moment you mentioned um his ill-fated tenure at Bayern actually Nico Kovac when they were saying, I think it was something about players celebrating after a certain win or whatever. It was after the Bayern Dortmund game in the Allianz when they won 5-0. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned this, yeah. And like just coming out, Nico Kovac just coming out and being like very firm. It's like, wow. Like, the, you know, obviously the, that didn't go well in the end for him, the tenure, but just one of those moments when you see a manager just kind of like lose it in a controlled way mm. and it just electrifies everything. It's like, oh, we've got a leader. Like, we've got someone who's going to take on that negative because it's very easy to laugh at her it's very easy to be like oh her to this like wasting money whatever but to have someone who's like no actually like this is on the players and their quality mm. don't reduce me to some some joke figure i, I love that yeah uh, elsewhere in, yeah. in the bundesliga quickly leipzig drew no no with frankfurt it's a good point for eintracht uh leverkusen mm. beat wolfsburg two another way obviously missing some key players now florian viet's out for the season with an acl injury um dortmund drew away at Köln. They're six points behind Bayern now. Leverkusen are in third. Leipzig are in fourth. Um, on Saturday, Freiburg drew with Greuterfurt. That's a really disappointing result for Freiburg, but it's a good one for Greuterfurt. Um, mine's beating Armelia Bielefeld. And Bayern beating Union 4-0. On Friday, the game between Bochum and Gladbach was abandoned with a few minutes to go. Gladbach were 2-0 up because uh, the assistant referee was hit with a full plastic pint of beer on the head quite disappointing that no one wants to see that luckily he was okay but they took everyone off and that was that uh, all the Bochum players were very very angry went over and told the fans off we're going to swear at the Premier League this week but we mentioned Leeds and Jesse Marsh they got a great result against Wolves on Friday 3-2 Arsenal got a great result against Villa 1-0 on Saturday another goal for Bukayo Saka who is he's finding the net like he and in important is. games too yeah He's really adding that to his game, yeah. Spurs with a very good win over West Ham. West Ham looked a little bit like the Europa League stuff had taken it out of them this weekend. Oh, yeah, good point. And also that stuff with Yarmolenko as well. A lot of that. I know, so there's emotional. a lot of emotional energy going through that yeah, club at the moment. Is, yeah, um, a lot. Two for Son. The first one was a, a Kurt Zuma own goal. And uh, Leicester beating Brentford 2-1 as well. It's a good result for Leicester. So Arsenal are fourth on 54 points. Spurs a fifth, having played a game more and are three points back, but they have crucially gone a point ahead of Manchester United now, having played the same games. West Ham are in seventh. And obviously, none of the top three played this weekend in the league because they're all in the cup, which you would talk about on Wright's house. Yep. And what a lovely segue to that episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to shout out from this weekend? We said we would touch on the Champions League, but I think maybe let's save it for closer to the ties. Yeah, absolutely. All I will say about that is I do really love that draw. Um, I I'm really excited well. by, by the matchups. So yeah. Um, do you know what I'm really hyped about though? Barca Eintracht in the Europa League. Oh my goodness. Very good friend of mine is uh, going to be going to that. Wow. In Barcelona. Big, yeah, big Eintracht fan. So yeah, really excited for that. Oh my God. Um, should be a vibe. Definitely. All right, everyone. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, go on. Quick shout out. Um, go on. Shout out to Sam from Chicago, who very, very kindly came to my audiobook launch, which was really yeah. lovely. And to Alex from Toronto as well. So Stadio listeners, 
Oh, wow. Stadio listeners in the house. It's, yeah, nice. it's always lovely. See Stadio listeners in the wild. So thank you so much for coming along. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, really lovely. It's made me feel even worse for not making it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't sorry. worry, Stadio was in the house. Uh, <laughs> all right, everyone, we're going to bounce. Don't forget, right house on Wednesday, and then the Ringer FC feed will be quiet for a week until Stadio returns the Thursday after, or Thursday the following week. So we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Anyone affected by what's going on at the moment, we hope you're all doing okay. Um, don't forget to check the ringer.com in general. Check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Um, Stanio Outro's playlist on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out on Stanio Favourite, another tune by Vaz. Track called Silver. Um, anything else you want to add me, Sokwonga? Nothing further. All good. Lovely. Well, in that case, everyone, we'll be back on the 31st. Until then, much love. See you then. See you then.